Welcome to the Greystone Church Podcast. We are so grateful that you're here. On this episode, we'll be listening to a teaching from our 2022 Men's Conference. Our guest speaker, Brian Lloyd, pastor of West Ridge Church, shares what biblical manhood looks like and gives practical application steps to live that out. We pray that you are blessed with this message and that God will impact your heart. So let's listen in. You know what? It's just a switch. It just comes down to a switch. That's it. All right. Let's have it for that guy right there. Thank you for coming. I love it. All right. Well, I'm excited again to be with you guys tonight. And if you didn't hear me say this, I love your pastor. Great man of God. One of the best people I know. You guys are. And uh, his wife is awesome as well. So just really thrilled to be here tonight and uh, truly honored. Um, my, I want to talk tonight about just answering this call that is on all of our lives right now to biblical manhood. And when you talk about manhood, especially if you're talking about it in a mixed room, uh, it, it can become a very loaded topic. Um, there, there are many women who have been hurt by men. There are many women who have been hurt by men in the church under the label of biblical manhood. There are, there, there are a lot of examples out there of toxic masculinity. If you're a young man today without a, a positive role model, a male in your life, and you're looking today to, to see what, what exactly is a man, and you're looking at entertainment, or you're looking at uh, you know, maybe the sports world, or even in the church world, I mean, you, you could be extremely confused. And so here's my hope tonight. My hope tonight is to paint a very clear picture of, of what God truly expects from us as men and to paint a very clear picture of healthy biblical masculinity. Because when I was listening to Jonathan speak a moment ago about 100 men who are on fire for God, I know some of you may be thinking, I'd like to answer that call, but I'm not quite sure what that looks like. And that's one of the challenges that so many men face today. We really don't have a clue what a real man is actually supposed to look like. Because for some of you in this room tonight, and for so many outside of this room, it was never modeled for them. It wasn't passed down to them. So as a result of that, they have no idea how to lead their wives right, how to lead their families, how to lead in society, how to, how to lead in the church, how to be one of those hundred men that Jonathan was just talking about. So we have a society of, 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 full of men who, who don't really know how to act like a man. Well, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a very powerful letter to a church expressing a lot of, who was, excuse me, experiencing a lot of of, of chaos and conflict. This church was filled with men who did not really understand what it meant to be a godly man. And so Paul says to the men of this church in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now in the cultural context in which that was written, the phrase act like men meant something very definitive, all right? It was a strong challenge for these men to be strong and courageous. But Paul added something significant to this, this challenge. He says, let all of it be done in love. Act like a man, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and then just wrap it all up in love. Well, if the challenge for us is to answer the call to start acting like a man, then, then we need to answer the question, what does that actually look like? What does the Bible actually say about this topic? What is a real man? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul does something really interesting here. He actually compares and contrasts 
two men. These two men are the foremost personalities in the Bible. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, the first man from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. Paul tells us there are, there are two pictures of masculinity, masculinity that are actually represented in the Bible. They are, they are the two snapshots of manhood. One is Adam and the other is Jesus. And Paul calls them the first and the last Adam. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. These men right here represent so much in scripture and they actually represent a lot in life. The, the, the first man represents the old, the other man represents the new. They both represent two very different ways of life. They define two different types of masculinity. And guys, you need to realize this tonight. You draw your masculinity from one of two places, either from the first Adam in the book of Genesis or from the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who was the son of God. The first Adam represents a life separated from God. And, and this guy, his course is set really on a natural course. It's a manhood based on instinct and reaction and gut feeling. There's very little meaning in the first Adam's life. He is a man who is off course with no purpose. He represents a failed manhood that seeks to find meaning to life by sucking the life out of others. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, represents a life that is actually in union with God. His manhood is based and influenced by spiritual direction. It's based on faith, not flesh. His life is filled with meaning. There's, there's purpose to it, he is, and he's driven to fulfill it. This is a man who is a life giver, not a life taker. And when you put these two symbols of manhood next to each other, listen, the differences are glaring. And the differences actually define what authentic manhood is all about. Of all the things lacking in the lives of men today, the most, is probably, the, the most potent is the answer to the question, what exactly is a real man? And I believe the difference between these two men actually gives us the answer. Several years ago, I had a chance to, reach an, uh, to, to uh, hang out with an author by the name of Robert Lewis. He's a pastor in Arkansas. And he wrote a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. And I actually used that book as the framework by which I raised my boys. And I wrote down four things that I learned from him and when my boys were really little and I put it next to their bed and every single night I would say these four things to my boys and I would say, guys, let's, let's say this again. A real man does this, a real man does this. And I was in my older son's uh, room uh, actually a couple months ago. He just got married and uh, he moved out and uh, lives in Birmingham now and getting ready to go play baseball in Wisconsin. But, but I was looking through one of his drawers trying to find something and I found this yellow piece of paper folded up that had been next to his bed for many, many, many years that he had just taken down and put in a drawer because he had just moved away. And, and it was just amazing to me that he had kept that for all of those years. And it really was his thing every single day when he said, what is a real man? He could look at it. And so I wanna talk to you tonight about what I wrote down on that paper and what I've been teaching my boys for the last 27 and then 23 years. What is a real man? Here's the first principle. A real man is not passive. Now typically when, when boys are young, they have this tremendous desire to be aggressive and to achieve. When I was uh, in elementary school, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, by the way, okay? A lot of snow and really cold. Anybody from Michigan here? The good guys in the back, all right. 
when I was, when I, when I was in elementary school, my, my dad, I have a younger brother who's, who's four years younger than me and then an adopted brother who's like 25 years younger than me. But when I was growing up, um, my dad would take my brother and I downtown Detroit to watch wrestling. Any wrestling fans in here? Okay, now, now we're talking. So, so as, at a young age, we were all into wrestling. And so we would go into my bedroom and we would rope off my bed and my brother and I would literally turn that bed into a wrestling ring. Now, now he's four years younger than me, so it was really never fair. But we had actually, we, we had made a championship belt and we had wrestling names. <laughs> I like this guy. This guy right over here, he has a wrestling name. He just hadn't told you what it is yet. But I'm gonna tell you what mine was. Okay, my name is Brian Bloy. My wrestling name was Flying Brian Bloy. All right? My brother's name was Chief Kevin Strongbow, all right? He would come in with a headdress, he would do the whole thing, you know, around, around the room, you know, and then he would just get slammed, all right? But if we were, if we, and, and, and it, it just always turned out bad for him, but if, but if we weren't wrestling, we were boxing. When we were in college, he, I was a senior, he was a freshman, we would, we would come home to, to where my parents lived in Michigan, we would mark off a football field in snow in my parents' backyard and literally play one-on-one tackle football, just kind of rugby style. My two boys, same way. When they lived in our house, they loved to box. They loved to wrestle. Anything that involved tackling someone else. Every year, and, and I'm, I'm not lying, we actually just ran into this guy last week in Publix. We had a drywall guy come to our house and fix holes in our walls just because my boys are just like that. But, but listen, boys and men seem to possess this natural aggressiveness about them that just causes them to want to explore, to achieve, to play rough. And, and that varies from, from man to man, we know. But typically, if you take 22 men and you give them a football and you put them in a field, they're going to turn into a bunch of crazed maniacs. Why? Because they're going to be aggressive. You take any group of men, you put them on a job site and you give them some kind of incentive, they will try to outwork each other. They, were, they are driven to succeed. However, you take those same men and you ask them to lead their home spiritually, to lead their children spiritually, or, or to lead their community, or to get involved in a small group, or to serve, they immediately default to being passive. Now, why is that? Well, we could point a lot of fingers here tonight, but I wanna go back to the book of Genesis, and I wanna show you just a picture for just a moment. Genesis chapter three, the Bible tells us that the serpent comes to Eve with this incredible proposition. He convinces her to believe that the forbidden fruit is the key to life. Satan tells her that if she will just eat one bite of that fruit, she will be like God. Now, where was Adam when all this was happening? Because the stage is set for him right there to step in and save the day. I mean, after all, he's, he's been given total responsibility as the man to lead the garden and to lead his wife. Matter of fact, Genesis chapter two, God gave Adam three responsibilities, just three. He said, don't eat the fruit, take care of the garden, and love this woman right here, Eve. That was his job description. Now you would think at this moment, while Eve is being tempted, that Adam would come out of the phone booth with a Superman cape on, yielding some kind of, you know, a sword, and just chop the serpent's head off. But that's not what happened. Instead, when he was confronted with his social and spiritual responsibility, Adam folded like a tent. Adam, the first man, the leader of the garden, becomes 
passive. Where was he? Well, most people think that he actually wasn't there when Eve was being tempted and eating the fruit, but that's not true, was it? Is it? He was actually right there, standing by, watching his wife get sucked into the greatest lie ever told. Look at Genesis 3, 6 for just a moment. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, here it is, who was with her, and he ate it. The key phrase right there is this, her husband who was with her. Listen, as naturally aggressive as Adam was as a man, when the moment came to step up and to be the man, Adam shrunk back and he became passive. When he was called upon to lead spiritually and to protect his woman, Adam just stood there. He actually blamed Eve for the whole thing. And men, listen, we've been doing the same thing ever since. Have you ever wondered why the Bible specifically calls men to lead their wives spiritually, to instruct their families, to lead their homes? Because we, as men, have a fallen nature that actually bends our hearts away from these responsibilities. And we inherited from all that from, from, from Father Adam. We inherited th this, this tendency to be passive in the most crucial spiritual areas of life. L listen, let me be, painful, be painfully honest with you for just a moment. Over almost 30 years of being married to my wife, the most challenging spiritual responsibility I face each week is not leading my church. It's not leading my staff. It's leading, it's leading my wife. It's leading her spiritually. It's that time when, when Amy and I pray together. Let me quote Robert Lewis for just a moment. Families cry out for men who will do more than tune out when they come home from work. Kids want dads who are involved, dads who provide moral and spiritual direction, dad who are, dads who are life-giving and affirming. Women want men who will protect them, not use them. Society needs men who will stand for moral absolutes. But we must stop and ask, where are these men and what will become of their families in their absence? And Paul actually answers that question in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. He says, in Adam all die. Listen, the first Adam blew it at being a man. He failed, so God knew we needed another Adam. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, stood toe-to-toe -to -toe against the enemy when confronted with evil. When it came to spiritual and social matters, Jesus stood firm. He was strong and courageous, and he did it in love. Guys, listen, real manhood begins when, when, when we as men reject social and spiritual passivity. Being a real man means that we're engaged. Principle two, a real man accepts responsibility. Now, I mentioned earlier that Adam had three responsibilities. Don't eat the fruit, take care of the garden, love Eve. Basically, Robert Lewis says he had a will to, will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. Let me say that again. This is his job description. He had a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. Jesus was given the same responsibility. His responsibility was to obey his father, to save the lost and to love his church. He had a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. Psalm chapter 40, verse seven through eight tells us how Jesus approached this. The Bible says, then, then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Now think about the first Adam for just a moment. 
Here's a guy that rejected God's will, said no to God's work, and actually refused to love God's woman. As a matter of fact, as I said earlier, he blamed God and Eve for his failure to do his job. And yet Jesus did just the opposite. He looked at his responsibilities as a man and he actually got energy from it. Here's a great example. John chapter four, verse 34. Jesus is busy doing ministry. The disciples are concerned. Jesus is not eaten all day long. They, they approach Jesus and they urge him. Listen, they say, Father, teacher, you've got to eat something. And Jesus says to his, to his disciples, and this is a classic statement that really sums up the driving force of his life. He says, listen, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Everything Jesus did revolved around obeying the Father, saving lost people, and loving his followers. And those three things literally define who he, who he was as a man. When he was doing those three, th those three things, he was pumped up about it. it. It gave him energy. Listen, a real man does God's will. What does that mean? It means you live your life by the book. You live your life following God's word. A real man, he does God's work. Not just the job you get paid for, but also the, 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 the work that you do in the church, the work that God's called you to do in your home, the work that God's called you to do in your community. And a real man loves God's woman. You love your wife. For those of you who aren't married, you love your mom. I raised my boys, I told them, I said, guys, until you get married, this is your woman. And I used to tell them all the time, how do we treat our woman? We talk about, we love our woman, we protect our woman, we take care of our woman. You don't talk back to your woman, you don't disrespect your woman. This is your woman. Guys, that's our job description, that's our responsibility. But listen, I've been talking to men for over 34 years who have given me every excuse in the world for not doing the three things that God has called us as men to do. And where do those come from? Where do those excuses come from? Where, where did this tendency to pass the buck come from? Where did, where did we learn not to take responsibility? Where did this natural tend tendency to shift blame come from? <laughs> we inherited it from Adam. Outside of immorality, I believe it's the biggest thing that holds us back from being the men, the followers of God that God wants us to be. Listen, men, when we don't take responsibility for what God has called us to do as men, we, we, we sell ourselves short. We miss the mission that God has put us on earth to accomplish. And the thing that makes my heart break is that we end up passing down those same patterns to our sons. Listen, Adam passed it down to Cain and Abel, to Seth, who then passed it down to their boys, who passed it down to their boys until it's finally reached us. Man, what a tremendous responsibility we have to pass down good things to our boys to pass down good things to our daughters. What, an, what, an, what a wonderful opportunity we have right in front of us to build a godly legacy that will hopefully impact generations to come. When I, when I think about being a man, it's hard for me not to think about my dad. My dad, um, my dad got saved when I was 10 years old. My parents were getting a divorce. My dad did not like pastors because he just saw so much phoniness, phoniness in the in the religious world. He was a Canadian guy, grew up playing hockey, just a man's man, and uh, just didn't like church, didn't like pastors. And my pastor that, uh, the church my mom and I were attending with my little brother was just a guy from Texas, a real man's man, and just reached out to my dad through marriage counseling. And uh, April 11th, 1976, when I was 10 years old, my dad 
put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Three years later, he, be he became a pastor. We moved to Texas so he could go to Bible college. And I got a chance to, to serve on staff with him at my church for three years, from 2001 to 2004, and he actually died in the summer of 2004 in a, in a, in a rafting accident in the uh, Nanahalo River. But when he came to Jesus Christ to be a savior, he modeled biblical manhood for me. And a couple months before he died, I was preaching at Westridge, a church that I pastor, and I just made a comment in one of my sermons that, that, that I got in trouble a lot when I was younger. I had a really bad temper when I was really little. My parents fought a ton. Um, I actually had a really bad mouth on me. At three, four years old, I could cuss like a sailor. Uh, epic stories of me cussing out neighbors and family, family members. And, and so I, I, I made this comment in church that, that it seemed to me like I got spanked every day. Okay? And my dad's sitting in church. This is a few months before he dies. We're in the office like the next morning, and he calls me into his office. He goes, son, hey, you should call me. Hey, boy, come in here. Call me boy. I'm 30-something years old. Boy, come in here. What? He goes, sit down. I said, what? He goes, you, you said in church the other day that, that you got spanked every single day. Is that really true? And I said, well, it, it, it seemed like I did because I, I really gave you a hard time. And he looked at me and he goes, are we good? I said, dad, this is years ago. I was a little boy. He goes, no, I want to, are we good? Do, do, he goes, do we need to go to counseling together? And I said, dad, we are fine. I, I, I hired you. You're on my staff. We're good, you know? I mean, he goes, no, listen, I want to make sure we're good. And listen, I want to tell you what was going on at that moment. Years after all that stuff happened, my dad was taking responsibility, making sure that things were right, leaning into something, looking at it, going, hey, is there something here that's between us? Is there something broken here that needs to be fixed? Even though I'm in my 50s, you're in your 30s. Taking responsibility. Guys, listen, a real man rejects being passive. He takes responsibility. Here's the third principle. A real man leads courageously. Real men are designed to lead. Lead our families. Lead our children. Lead in the church. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, but I want you to realize, Paul says, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of, of, of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Listen, when Adam refused to step forward and lead Eve away from temptation, he gave up leadership of the Garden of Eden. He had a tremendous opportunity to step up and lead, and he choked. And guys, listen. Oh, listen, that's what so many guys still do to this day. Guys, when it comes to crucial moments, when we should step in and lead, we, and we, it, we know the right thing we, to do, we know it in our hearts, but in the passion of so many moments, way too often, we step back, we shrink back in fear and become passive. And our homes and communities are in chaos right now as a result of that. As a result, we now have a generation of children, of young men who are struggling to find a moral compass. They're struggling with authority. They're struggling to find purpose. Listen, men, with Christ in our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have what it takes to take all of our fears, all of our insecurities, all of our unbridled passions and times of being worn out, and we have what it takes to do the right thing and to lead in the most crucial areas of life. We have what it takes. When you have Jesus in your life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you have what it takes to, to lead in any area that God's calling you to lead in. After Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was taken by Satan into a high mountain, shown all the kingdoms of the world. Satan told him, he said, he said in, in Matthew 4, 9, he said, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. 
What's going on here? Satan's using the same pattern on Jesus that he used on Adam and Eve. Eat and you'll have it all. And here's what we need to realize. Satan at this moment had it to give. Jesus could have taken the shortcut and could have at that very moment forsaken the cross and become the ruler of the world. But to do it, he would have had to bypass dying for our sins. But the courage to fulfill his purpose and to answer the call to biblical manhood won the day. Jesus stood up to the challenge and took charge. Jesus, the real man, he said this to Satan. He said, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Listen, guys, be gone is the battle cry of a real man. It's what we say to Satan when he's playing with our emotions, when he's lying to us. It's what, he, it's what we say to him when, when, when he wants us to be weak and passive. It's what we say when, when, he, when, when he tempts us to pass the buck on our responsibilities, when we're tempted by, by things that will destroy our lives, when the enemy's trying to steal our kids from, from outside, uh, 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 out from underneath our roof, when he wants to destroy our marriage. Listen, the words are, be gone here. Biblical manhood is a call to reject being passive at the crucial moments of life. It's a call to accept responsibility. It's a mandate to lead courageously. And then the fourth thing is this. A real man lives for the greater reward. Listen, being a real man's hard. It seems like everything in culture just pushes against it. Sometimes it seems less glorious. It, it, it looks like it's empty of joy. It seems burdensome. And the first Adam bought into this and he, and he defected for temporary glory. And some men do the same thing today. Satan wants to tell you, listen, that promotions and traveling and long hours are the actual key to joy. He wants you to think that the real rewards of life are not found in this life, are actually found in this life alone. He wants you to spend long hours accumulating things that, you're, that, that you can't take to the grave with you. He wants to entice you with the things of this world so that you'll sell your soul to have them. He wants you to, 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 to think that, that his plan for your life will, will actually, God's plan for your life will actually make you look weak in front of your friends and coworkers. He wants you to think that God's way of living will actually rob you of your joy, that it's gonna be burdensome to you. It's gonna be tiring to you. It's gonna wear you out. It's gonna suck the life from you. But being a real man was never intended to be a burden. Instead, God designed a plan for us as men that would be liberating and offer us great rewards. What was his plan? A will to obey. He said, guys, if you live by this book, I promise you it's gonna give you life, it's gonna give you meaning, it's gonna give you purpose, and it's gonna protect you from all the things in this world that wanna ruin your life. He gave us a work to do. He gave us families to lead. He gave us children to lead. He, he, he's given us eternal life. He's given us a, a, a church to engage and to lead into, to be part of, whether it's small groups or serving, whatever that looks like. And for many of you in this room, most of you, he's given you a woman to love, a one woman man. That's what the Bible calls. What does that mean? It means that our whole heart and soul is dedicated to that one woman that God's given us. Listen, that's his game plan for our lives. I want you to look at the screen at Hebrews chapter 12 for just a moment. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the, here, here it is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
You say, what kept Jesus going? Through all of the criticism, all of the scorn, all of the shame, all of the, going, to the, going to the cross, what kept him in the race? What was it that allowed him to actually endure the cross? Here's what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says. It was the reward of joy. Jesus knew that when it was all said and done, and he had faced the persecution, faced the cross, at the end of the road there would be joy. Listen, guys, if you look at this call to be a real man, as burdensome, as taxing, as a drag, you have missed the example of Jesus because the, the call to be a real man is a call to abundant life. It's a call to joy. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, however it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Men, listen, God has designed us to experience true life that can only be genuinely found in following Jesus. And we can't settle for less. We cannot settle for less. We get one life. And with that one life, listen, we must reject passivity. We've got to take responsibility. We must lead courageously, and we need to expect the greater rewards. I know some of you are thinking, what are the rewards? What should I live my life for? What do those greater rewards look like? An honorable name. Maybe one day your son's gonna stand on stage and talk about you. It's gonna be honorable. A wife that looks at you with admiration and respect, well-adjusted, not, per, not, not perfect by any means, but responsible children who contribute to others and, and, and to the kingdom of God. The respect of other men in the community and the incredible blessing of being blessed by God and a growing satisfaction inside of you. That, that you just know that your life has meaning and purpose. Men, that is the way of Christ. The way of Christ is life. The way of Adam leads to an empty road that leads to a dead end. When I was in ninth grade, um, I, was, uh, I, was a, I, I played baseball, played a little football, but I wrestled too. And I was getting real tall and kind of lanky. And I was the captain of, of, our ninth grade, of, of our wrestling team in junior high. That was back when seventh, eighth, and ninth was junior high and then the rest was high school. And uh, I remember walking out the very first mat of the, match of the year, here I am the captain, three-year wrestler, the whole deal, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at the kid that I'm gonna face, other, team, other school had come in, it's a home, home meet, I'm looking at this kid who's my weight class, and he's got these glasses on, these real big Coke you know, bottle-looking glasses, and he doesn't look like a wrestler at all. And guys that just couldn't wrestle, back then we called them fishes, they just flop all over the mat. And everybody's looking at me going, hey, Bloy, look at, look at the guy you get to wrestle, man. This guy, he's a fish, he's a fish. And I'm, I'm the ninth grade captain. I'm gonna wipe the mat with this guy. We walk out there, you know, before the, I don't know if you've ever been a wrestling, like, like real wrestling, you, the guys jump and rope, take their stuff off, put the headgear on, you come out, shake the guy's hand, rep blows the whistle. I'm, I'm not kidding you guys, this guy shot in on me, took me down, had me wrapped up in some kind of figure four pretzel thing, and I'm looking up at the ceiling tiles, and I'm, I'm count, like I could see the fluorescent lights, my parents were there, 
and my nose and my mouth are somehow trapped under this guy's leg, and I can't breathe. I feel like I'm going off into a third dimension. I mean, it was like, and I'm just like humiliated, and all of a sudden, you know the sound. One of the most humiliating moments of my life. Guys, listen, some of you tonight feel trapped. You feel pinned by your circumstances. You feel trapped, and for some of you, you feel like tapping out. You feel like you're, you're on that mat, looking up at ceiling tiles, just trying to figure out how, how, do I, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this predicament? How do I get out of this situation? It wouldn't even be bad if somebody tapped me out. Listen, God did not call us to answer this call of being a real man without giving us the ability to do it. He's not only given you Jesus, okay, to forgive you of your sin, to reach down into those moments that you're struggling and to be praying for you and interceding for you and advocating for you, to be cheering you on, sitting at the right hand of the Father. But listen, he's given you his spirit to live inside of you. And he would never call you to do anything without giving you the power to do it. God's given you a call here tonight, guys. A will to obey, a work to do, a woman to love, to be a real man. But we've got to tonight say no to passivity. We gotta start leading courageously. Start saying no to Satan. Start saying no to the temptations that, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take responsibility. I'm gonna stop passing the buck. You got issues in your life? Take responsibility for them. Get some help and say, you know what? I'm gonna make the best I can of these days that God's given me. Enough of shifting blame, pointing fingers at the past. I'm gonna be the man that God's called me to be. I'm gonna get all that I can out of this life for the kingdom of God. And I'm gonna lead courageously. My wife's gonna see a new man. My kids, they're gonna see a new man. Even if your kids are older, let them see a new you. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acting like a man, but wrapped up in love. And live your life for the greater reward. An honorable name. Respect of men. Leader of leaders. Respected in the community. And when it's all said and done, you live out your purpose, they put you in a ground, and you tap out and you go, Lord, I'm in your presence now. Make your life count. Be the man God's called you to be. A true man, a biblical man. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every one of these men. You've called every single one of us to be true, real men who follow after the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The first Adam failed. Lord, let us not spend one moment of our day following that man in the example that he set. Lord, let us die to this natural tendency inside of us to be passive. To not lead courageously, to not take responsibility, to live for the rewards of this, this world, Lord. But let us pattern our lives after the second Adam, Jesus, who came, 
lived with compassion, lived bold, lived like a real man, took responsibility, lived courageously, lived his life for the joy set before him. Lived for the greater rewards. Saw his job description and set his life in course to, to, to make it true, to, to accomplish it. A work to do, a will to obey, a woman to love. Lord, may we be men who set the course of our lives to follow after that, that man, that second Adam, Jesus. And I thank you that tonight you have given us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, everything we need to be the man, to be the husband, to be the father, the grandfather, the leaders in the church that you've called us to be. Not perfect men, not perfect men, but men who are following hard after the example that Jesus has set for us, living our lives for the greater reward. I pray that for my own life, Lord. You know I fail way too often, but I pray that you'll help me to continue to strive to be that man you've called me to be. And I pray that for every man here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to stay updated on our dates for our next men's conference, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more messages or info on Greystone Church, feel free to go to our website, greystonechurch.com. We hope you have an awesome day.